As therefore God's picked representatives of the new humanity, purified and beloved of God himself, be merciful in action, kindly in heart, humble in mind. Accept life and be most patient and tolerant with one another. Always ready to forgive if you have a difference with anyone. Forgive as freely as the Lord has forgiven you, and above everything else, be truly loving, for love is the golden chain of all the virtues. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, remembering that as members of the same body, you are called to live in harmony, and never forget to be thankful for what God has done for you. Let Christ's teaching live in your hearts, making you rich in the true wisdom. Teach and help one another along the right road with your psalms and hymns and Christian songs, singing God's praises with joyful hearts. And whatever you may have to do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, thanking God the Father through him. Good morning. Well, we've all made it through the uh, first week of 2012. We're all still standing. How's everybody's New Year's resolutions doing? Anyone been tempted to break them? Do you want to know what temptation is? I'll tell you. Temptation is when your pastor calls you, what was it, Monday or Tuesday night, and says, are you preaching this week or am I preaching this week? I, I can't remember. That's temptation. I was tempted. Yeah. Martin, you're, I think you're on. <clears throat> um, I've had something on my heart that I've wanted to share for um, a, a couple of months now, really, but since the new year arrived, it's just kind of grown in intensity. And uh, I'm going to start by talking about a young fellow that was with us for the fall. A lot of you know Mark Bergen. Uh, he came to, uh, to do a work term from the University of Kelowna, and he got quite involved with the young adults and, and with the worship team. And a couple weeks after Mark arrived in town, uh, I got together with him for a coffee. And um, uh, as we were talking, he kind of confided in me that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really quite sure how involved to get. And as we, as we kept talking, I realized that what he was really saying was, what's the point in getting attached when in a number of weeks I'm going to be heading off anyways? And I could see where he was coming from. I, I, could, I can certainly you know, understand what he was saying. And, uh, and that's kind of always um, a thing, isn't it? It's, it's hard to get attached. It's hard to build relationships. It's hard to, you know, it takes effort. It involves us getting vulnerable. It involves us, um, you know, having to get close to people, and that can be hard. And what is it about that that is hard? It's hard to connect with people, isn't it? It's hard to even, does anybody have trouble even just smiling and nodding at someone as you pass by them on the street? I'm not making this up. I'll be walking down the street, and I'll see somebody coming towards me. And as they get closer, this is what starts to go through my head. I begin to think, okay, when is the proper time to look up and make eye contact? Is it when they're 10 feet away? Is it when they're 7 feet away? And what happens when I do look up? And what if they're looking up and we actually do make eye contact? What happens then? Do I give them a nod as we go by? Do I, do I smile? Is it okay to smile? What if it's a good-looking girl? Is it okay to smile if she's good-looking? Is that appropriate? What if it's a good-looking guy? What does that entail? I just these, these are seriously thoughts that are going through my head as I'm walking up to somebody. And the thing that happens is that by the time I've figured this out, we've probably already passed each other. 
And I have a feeling that that person is thinking, man, that guy looked confused and conflicted. <laughs> and I, I hope he's okay. And I have a feeling there's been a couple of them that have said, I'm going to pray for that guy tonight because <laughs> he needs Jesus. And some of them, I think, have thought the exact same thing I was thinking. But it's hard to get attached, isn't it? It's hard to make connection with people. I'm happy to say that as Mark and I were talking, um, I encouraged him to get involved. In fact, this is what I said to him, and this is a great compliment to all of us here. I said to him, Mark, in the next 14 weeks, it's not fair to you to not experience the blessing of getting to know us. Because, come on, we're a pretty great bunch of people, aren't we? But I also said to him, Mark, in the next 14 weeks, it's not fair to us to not experience the blessing of getting to know you. And many of us did, and I'm glad for that. But what makes us afraid to reach out to people? Because some of us are really good at it, and many of us aren't. Why is it so hard? And why was I so taken by this when I was studying this passage that uh, Jeremy just read to us? I'm fairly certain that this morning I'm not going to share with you the proper exegetical teaching on the theological layers of Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. I have a feeling that may not come out this morning, and, and I apologize for that. But we are going to look at it, and I am going to share with you what kept hitting me when I read this. And that's this. Christ creates community. A number of years ago, I got to listen to a man named Jack Deere. He's a theologian, he's a minister, a writer. And uh, one thing that stuck with me when I heard him speak was this. He said, family is created at the cross. That has always stuck with me. But look at Jesus. He gathered people around him, and he went to where people were gathered. He ate with them. He hung out with them. He spoke with them. He would tell them incredible stories, simple but incredible stories. And he gathered a group of people together, many of whom didn't know each other at all, and he created family, didn't he? And years later, we get to be a part of that family. Christ creates community. When I read this passage in Colossians, I understand that Paul was talking about rules for holy living. If you look at the NIV translation, that's that little subheading there, rules for holy living. But what strikes me each time I read it is that it speaks to us about a way to keep in community and stay united in the face of our own faults and from the influences that would seek to pull us apart. Look at Colossians, if you, if you want to, in your Bibles, chapter 3. Let's look at verses 12 to 14. Paul says, clothe yourselves. Paul is giving us this illustration that we've got to get dressed up. There's something that we need to put on. It's not that at this point we're spiritually naked. What's happened is earlier in the chapter, he's telling them all the stuff you've got to take off. This is your old self. This is the old fashion that we've got to take off and get rid of. Sexual immorality. Anger, bitterness, malice, filthy language, all these things that we don't need anymore in the new self. We take that stuff off. Take that off. That is so 2011. Get rid of that. This is what we're going to put on now. Paul writes that we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We are covered, clothed, if you will, in Christ's love. Out of that love we find mercy, grace, and forgiveness 
But there's more that we can wear. It's time to accessorize all you dedicated followers of fashion. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not one of them, but you know what I'm talking about. Clothe yourselves, he says, with compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is something that I think is missing in our day-to-day life so much of the time. Compassion means mercy, grace, empathy, tenderheartedness. Don't you love that word, tenderheartedness? It's easy to get compassionate at Christmas time or when disaster strikes and we want to help. In Church of Christ, don't get me wrong, we love to help. And we do a lot for a church of our size. I'm amazed at the things that we accomplish. I don't mean to boast in us and what we can do, but I do mean to boast in what Christ can do. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But what about everyday compassion? What makes that so hard? You know what my excuse is? I don't have time. Isn't that terrible? I don't have time for day-to-day compassion. I don't have time to smile at somebody as I'm walking by them and not worry about what they're going to think of me. We need that day-to-day compassion. We need kindness. The word kindness even sounds kind, doesn't it? Kindness. Say it with me. Kindness. Doesn't that sound nice? Cruelty. Kindness. (laughs) We teach our kids to be kind. And then so much of what they see when we send them out into the world just pounds it out of them, doesn't it? Everyday life, the media, all the things that they see, it's hard to be kind. Kindness gets a bad rap. Nice guys finish last, we hear. Kindness doesn't mean getting walked over. Kindness is something that comes out of being compassionate. I mean, think about it. Have you ever heard somebody describe someone as, he was so compassionate and cruel? (laughs) No. He was compassionate and kind. Compassion leads to kindness. And do you see what's happening? All of these wonderful virtues overflow into the other, don't they? Kindness into humility, humility into gentleness, gentleness into patience. The J.B. Phillips translation describes them as being merciful in action, kindly in heart, humble in mind. And these virtues we clothe ourselves in look really good together, creating quite an outfit. It's hard to have any of these virtues without the other, and they all come from that same place within us, from the love of Christ in our hearts. And what happens when all of this is applied to the people around you? We create community. And who wouldn't want to come and be a part of that? So it's really just that simple, isn't it? Well, of course, it isn't. We make mistakes. We give way to our selfish natures and we hurt people. We don't use the wide-angled lens of our hearts to see people with. We look in on ourselves. There will be times we step on each other's toes. Or a lot worse, there will be times when we deeply offend and hurt one another. Things that we did or didn't do, things that we said or didn't say. Paul urged the church to bear with one another, forgive one another, because we remember who first forgave us. Paul points out one last thing we can put on, love. This is our jewelry, our fancy earrings. This is our bling. I don't wear bling, but if you wear bling, this is what I'm talking about. 
Phillips translates it as the golden chain of all the virtues. Love is what binds all these things together. This is what's going to get noticed. This is what's going to catch people's eye and say, whoa, what is that? Love. Now, Paul was writing to encourage a church that was finding itself face to face with opposition that challenged the supremacy of Christ and tempted them to subscribe to false truths that would lead only to spiritual ruin and isolation. In other words, break up the community. Because do you know what the devil loves about community? Me neither. I don't know. The devil will seek to break up what God has put together, whether it's friendships, marriages, families, or a church community. Divide and conquer. He's had a lot of practice with it, and oftentimes we are unwitting participants on his behalf. People get offended, they get hurt, they tend to speak to everyone except the person who hurt them. And next thing you know, we're, we're covered in backbiting and bitterness. It can even lead to someone leaving the church. And base, best case scenario, they find another uh, group that they can get together with and, and hopefully learn to better get along. Worst case, they become isolated and they leave altogether. Now when we think of the term isolation, it tends to make us think of an individual, doesn't it? That's what comes to my mind. In a bleak place, a prison cell, a desert island, a frozen wasteland. But you know what? It's easy for a couple to experience isolation. It's easy for an entire family to experience isolation. Even when they are coming regularly to a church. It's easy to be amongst people and at the same time not be there at all. Isolation puts us in the exact opposite place of community. Being alone and isolated can be hazardous. It can make us take off those things that Christ would have us put on. And now, instead of compassion, we're wearing indifference. Instead of kindness, cruelty. Instead of humility, we put on pride. Isolation invites desperation, confusion, bitterness, and anger. How do we get out of isolation? How do we break free? Now, I have something I need to confess to you guys. My name is Daniel, and I'm a U2 fan. It's been a long time since I was a teenager. On their 1991 album, Mac Tongue Baby, U2 wrote a song entitled Acrobat. The second verse from that song cuts through me every time I listen to it, as it wonderfully describes someone so desperately in need of God's forgiveness, someone so longing for community. The verse says, no, nothing makes sense, and nothing seems to fit. I know you'd hit out if you only knew who to hit. And I'd join the movement if there was one I could believe in. Yeah, I'd break bread and wine if there was a church I could receive in, because I need it now. To take the cup, to fill it up, to drink it slow. I can't let you go. There is a part of us that always needs to come to this place. It's a place of surrender, of repentance. It's a place of receiving Christ's acceptance. Now, can you get a sense of what the songwriter is saying? To take the cup, to fill it up, 
to drink it slow. I can't let you go. It's about as much interpretive dance as you're going to see right there this morning. But it's a wonderful piece of imagery, isn't it? I imagine kneeling down to take the cup and lift it to my lips with both hands and take a long, slow drink. It's so symbolic of Christ's forgiveness flowing inside of us and entering back into that relationship that we so desperately need, finding acceptance, finding community, finding peace. That's the peace that Paul speaks of in verse 15, the peace of Christ. That peace is the realization of God's forgiveness and acceptance. It's a feeling of safety. It's, it's like that place in your house where you go to relax, to recharge. You feel safe and secure. As members of one body, as Christians together in this Shelburne Street Church of Christ, we are called to let peace rule in our hearts, to let this knowledge of salvation in Christ guide our lives. And i got to tell you, if you don't know what this peace of Christ is, you've got to find out. When the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, when we really accept and find the joy in our salvation, we can't keep a lid on it, can we? I'm talking we have to share it. I'm talking go tell it on the mountaintop. Go shout it from the rooftops. Maybe this year it's time to not be so secretive about it. Maybe this year it's time to, to share it, to take it outside of these four walls and show Victoria what we've got. The gospel has got to get out. In verse 16, Paul says to the church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul is talking about the gospel. I'm so glad the gospel is being preached here at Shelburne Street Church of Christ. Aren't you? I think we would be surprised, perhaps even shocked, at how many churches the gospel is not being preached in. Paul is urging us to let the gospel of Christ dwell in us richly, that we might learn from it, counsel one another with its wisdom, sing about it together, and offer God worship and praise. Oh man, I love offering up worship and praise. And I know I've talked about this before, but what happens when we do that together as a body of believers with all of our hearts? We push back the powers of darkness. Don't you want to do that? Does that excite you at all to be able to push back the powers of darkness? We can do it. It's not just movie stuff. It's not just stuff that happened in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It happens today, and we can do it today. Can you tell I get a little excited about this? These are things that we are doing together. This is community created in Christ. Now, we've all had times where we felt distant from God, from family, from even ourselves. We've had the feelings of disconnection from church. Every time I was awash in those feelings by the grace of God, the realization that I needed Christ would always bubble to the surface. Because once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you cannot do without him, no matter how hard we try. I want to say to you this morning, if you feel like you're in a place of isolation, you need to push past that resistance that you feel and step back into church and discover this family, this community that awaits you. In the year of 2012, I want to urge you, congregation, to ask God to show you how you can bless and increase this community. It could start right here in this room. It could start today. Look around you and see the people that you don't really recognize, maybe you've never seen before, I want to encourage you to go up to them and say hello. 
introduce yourself. Talk a little bit. I'll tell you right now what you're feeling. <laughs> I'll tell you right now what you're thinking. Somebody else will do it, right? Not me, because somebody else will take care of it. I don't have time. I have something important i got to take care of as soon as we hear that we're dismissed, right? Reach out beyond your comfort zones and ask someone, would you like to get together for lunch? Would you like to go for a walk, a hike, a run, anything? Don't assume that they don't want to, don't like you, or don't have time, or that it's bothersome. If they don't have time or it's bothersome, they will tell you. But reach out to those around you and bring them in closer. They don't all have to become the dearest of friends, and they all won't, but that's okay. It's not the point. You may be surprised at what relationships start to grow. In the year of 2012, I want to encourage you to invite people to come to church. I know that that scares you. <laughs> and some of you don't want to. But invite, invite, invite. People won't come unless they are asked. And even when it's tough to get them through, and, and even then it's tough to get them through the doors when we do ask them. But many certainly won't invite themselves. They're hungry and thirsty for Jesus. But they need someone to tell them, to remind them. And if you're concerned it might be a problem that this congregation might get too big, don't worry about that. We'll worry about that when we get to it. What concerns me is if this congregation ever got too small. Our, uh, our Young Families group is starting up uh, next week. And this, this is so cool. Um, if you're in a relationship or if you're married or if you have kids and you want to come out, I encourage you to, to um, check out the bulletin, check out the, uh, the website, come talk to me. Uh, we're starting next week on Sunday night and we're starting with the potluck. And I, I, I'm overjoyed to tell you, and I will send out an email to make this official, but we have to move it to the church because we have maximized our house. We can't fit everybody in that's responded. It's just awesome. And I'm, I'm very excited by this. But it's fellowship. It's people coming together. It's community being created, centered around Christ. And I'm excited about what's going to happen, about the time that we're going to share together, and then we're going to get into the Bible, and we're going to study it, and we're going to learn together, and we're going to grow together. And it is awesome. Here at Church of Christ, we find ourselves part of a community that really Christ created. We do this because many of us share a common belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? He died for us to forgive us our sins, and he rose again to beat death once and for all. For Jesus is the Christ, the saving one, <laughs> as we sung this morning. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that anyone who believes in him should never perish, but have eternal life. Amen? And for any members or friends here who don't share that belief or that are unsure about it. Perhaps you're on the fence. Perhaps you're having doubts and you don't know what to make about it. I want to tell you this. I am so glad you're here. There is a place for you here. There is still a home for you here. I, for one, am happy to have someone belong before they believe. And I believe our Savior did too. Ian, would you come back up with the worship team? Paul ends in this, in this passage, Paul urges us 
that in everything that we do, whether it's word or deed, that we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key. That's the key to the community that Christ creates and that we can create here, that we have created and that I believe can continue to grow and spread to wherever we go. That's my encouragement for you in the year of 2012. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give thanks, Lord God. You are our everything. You are our all in all, Lord Jesus. Everything we do, Lord, we only do through you, Lord God. May you fill our hearts up with the joy of your salvation, Lord God. May it pour out on the people around us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for those who are feeling isolated. Lord, for those who find it hard to connect. Lord, for those who need to come back and get involved. Lord, we ask, would you clear the way? Would you clear the obstacles that surround them and bring them here, Lord? Father God, we lift up to you all these things in the glorious name of Jesus. May you receive all the glory now and forever, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.